Hello, and welcome to episode 163 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Jamie S. and Tabitha G. to the Modern Manager community. Membership is a great way to invest in yourself and your team. Members get access to episode guides to help you implement what you're learning, guest bonuses like discounts and book giveaways, direct access to me through our members-only Slack group, and a private member podcast feed where you don't have to hear promotions like this one, and instead, you get access to bonus content. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a government or a nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. Now, today's guest is Robin Rosenberg. Robin is the CEO and founder of Live in Their World, a company that uses, in part, virtual reality to address issues of bias and incivility and upskill employees for respectful engagement. Robin is a clinical psychologist and is board certified in clinical psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology and a fellow of the American Academy of Clinical Psychology. She has taught psychology classes at Harvard University and Lesley University. Robin has combined her interest in immersive technologies with her coaching and clinical experiences to foster in employees a deeper understanding of how and why other people may feel slighted or marginalized and how to approach such interactions differently. Robin and I talk about civility and incivility in the workplace, the difference between general disrespect and microaggressions, and how to respond when you notice disrespectful behavior on your team. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Robin. I think we are going to have a really interesting conversation because I feel like this topic of civility and incivility is something that is like permeating our culture right now. And it's, it's almost unavoidable inside the workplace at the moment. Yes, I agree. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me and, and for the opportunity to talk with you about civility. So let's just jump right into this topic. Can you define for us how you think about these terms, civility or incivility, whichever is easier to to understand so that we can just make sure we're all thinking and coming at this from the same place. Great. So incivility are low level, but frequent forms of disrespect. They are things that range from interrupting to cracking jokes that don't sort of, you know, that aren't funny, that might be hurtful. They may or may not be personal, so they may not be directed at you because of some aspect of your identity, which would might be defined as a microaggression. It could just be the person is an all-purpose jerk or generally uncivil. So, so that's incivility. Um, they're low level, but because they're relatively frequent, they're cumulative. Civility, it's being courteous and polite, but it's more than that. It's also thinking about how your words and deeds and those of others impact other people and adjusting your behavior accordingly. So embedded in that definition is what we call a theory of mind, which is kind of putting yourself in the position of other people. And and you have to know them a little bit to do that well, but we can also make best guesses about how things are going to 
land with other people. So that's civility. All right. Well, I definitely want to come back to this, how to get into the mind of someone else and how that will help. But first I, I want to comment that I love this idea of kind of the all around jerk that there are people whose behavior isn't necessarily targeted at any one particular person. It's just that their overall behavior is impolite or makes for a negative energy work environment. And that that is not good. <laughs> that that kind of behavior is doesn't need to be in the workplace. Am I interpreting this idea correctly? That's correct. But let me have a caveat there, which is if you are a jerk to me, I may not know that you're a jerk to everybody, right? Because first of all, I may not see you so much with other people, maybe in team meetings, maybe, you know, they're small teams, or maybe I don't even notice when you're being a jerk to other people because I'm sitting there fomenting about how you were a jerk to me. So one of the things that happens is that we might, in fact, assume it's personal when it isn't that, I mean, you know, to the extent that it, someone is a jerk to everyone, it's not ultimately personal, but we don't know that. And we also don't know, you know, maybe you said something that was jerkish to me, but it hit a sore spot. And so that's going to feel personal. So I made it sound more straightforward than it actually is. Well, these things are always complicated. So now let's go back to this idea of the mind piece that you talked about. And I forget the phrasing you use. So can you remind us of the phrasing and then talk about how we do that and how it helps us? Uh, theory of mind, right? That is where we, we develop theories about other people's minds, if you think of it that way, of, of kind of how people will hear and respond to things that happen. And so in the office, if I'm going to tell a joke, so for instance, we're recording this during Pride Month. And so if I'm going to tell a joke about someone who's gay, I mean, obviously that would be silly to do, but, but let's say I'm an all around jerk. I might think it's okay to tell that joke in front of you because you're not gay, but I didn't know that you have a sibling who's gay or a, a child who's gay. And so if I had theory of mind, you know, I might say to myself, oh, you know, she's probably not going to take it well because she has a brother who's gay or she, you know, and so I won't say that. So, so I might restrain myself simply because I thought to myself, well, how would she hear this? And that's, you know, that's a really good thing to put yourself in another person's shoes. Of course, the problem is when we are wrong. Because <laughs> if I think, oh, she won't have any problem with it. And then you do, you know, that would, that would have been a microaggression. Oh my gosh. Okay. There's so much to unpack here. So let's put a pin in microaggressions. I feel like that's another good thing to talk about. But before we get into, into that topic, this idea of censoring ourselves based on what we think the other person will agree with or will think is appropriate or will think is inappropriate is really interesting. And I see it playing out in more casual conversations that I've had with other people. And it's interesting to me to think about it in the workplace that there are these thought processes happening in our heads all the time. And it's things like, you know, should we share this idea or not? Well, you know, should we crack this joke or not? 
Should I write this in an email? Can I vent this, you know, about this thing or not? And that it's happening all the time and we maybe aren't even noticing it. Uh, it, it should be happening all the time <laughs> because the whole point is we want to make the workplace an environment where people can focus on work and have a decent time and not have to brace themselves. I think that many people of color and women, white women and women of any color, have always monitored themselves for the impact of their words and deeds. I think what's different now is that many white men who may have traditionally not felt a need to do that are now realizing that it's a good idea to kind of censor themselves. Yeah. And I mean, the two things I would add to that are one, I think the topics that we are now self-censoring on are so much broader than maybe they used to be. So we're, we're just more, you know, we're more sensitive all around to different life experiences, different aspects of who we all are. And secondly, that this really is about being aware of our own thoughts and not necessarily saying our thoughts are wrong. Cause I've definitely come across people who feel like I don't want to be shamed for the way that I think or the experiences I've had in my life that have led me to have the values that I have, or that my thoughts are somehow bad or I'm a bad person because I have these thoughts, but just to know that like, you're totally entitled to your own thoughts, but that doesn't mean that you have the right to speak them, especially in a work context. And so just being aware of our own thoughts and recognizing what's appropriate and what's not in this particular setting is so valuable. Correct. And I like the distinction that you made between thoughts and behavior. That's one that I make because the goal is not to have thought police. That, that's not, you know, it's about behavior. And I include spoken language as behavior. You know, what I say to you is a is behavior. So the idea is simply, if I know something is going to impact you in a negative way, I just shouldn't say it. I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious on a certain level, but in, and especially in a work environment. Work environment, by the way, including remote work. Yeah. I mean, you just want to be able to go to work, do your work, you know, have a decent time, have colleagues at work. Um, and self-awareness is key. I mean, there tons and tons of research studies that show that self-aware employees who, who use that awareness for good do much better in the workplace. Oh, yes. All right. I want to go back to this idea of microaggressions and distinguishing between, you know, what it, maybe we can just start with actually, how do you define microaggressions? Because that might not be a term that everyone is fully aware of. Sure. I, I actually don't tend to use that word because a lot of people imbue all kinds of meanings and emotions into the word. But what it has historically meant is when you have behaved, again, language is a form of behavior, when you have behaved toward me in a way that affects my personal identity, right? whether it's demographic identity or some other known identity, that even if it's unintentional, if it is really disrespectful of, of some aspect of who I am as a person, that's a microaggression. And, and the key word is disrespect there. I mean, I could say to you, you know, you're 
analysis of you know this data set was very disappointing, that's not a microaggression. If I say to you, your analysis of this data was disappointing, you know, women can't shouldn't do data analysis or something. That's a that's a microaggression because I'm saying something about women and you are a woman. I'm saying something about women that's negative, all women, right? And you are a woman. And even if you didn't do a data analysis, if you were, that's not your job, you're a graphic designer. But if I say that about women in the workplace, I'm really saying something in essence negative about you. Ooh, that's intense. <laughs> and, and I have definitely seen all kinds of versions of that with the, the negative and the positive where, where people make assumptions that are positive about people because of an aspect of their demographic or their past experiences. And when those turn out, when those aren't true for you, then it's also really not good feeling. Like I know a common one that people have experienced is like, oh, you're Asian, therefore you must be great at math. And like that is again, saying something about a whole group of people that may or may not be true for any individual person. And if you happen to not be good at math, it doesn't feel good for people to expect you to be good at math simply because of your ethnicity. Right. I mean, the, the really, the crux of the, of the matter, I think, is being seen as an individual and not as a member of a demographic group. It gets complicated, though, because on the one hand, we want people to have an awareness of the challenges that exist for people from that demographic group, right? So that you you might know that you shouldn't make jokes about, you know, women in statistics or something, or women in math. But by the same token, I, I don't want you to treat me as, oh, Robin is a woman, and so therefore she must be bad at math, uh, or I assume she's bad at math until told otherwise. It's just treat me as an individual, but also be aware of what the likely pain points are going to be in terms of stereotypes about me, about me because of my demographic identity. So let's talk a little bit about what managers can do if they want to notice themselves maybe behaving in some of these ways that are a little uncivil. So maybe they've realized now like, oh, I've made assumptions about people or I've maybe said things or, you know, oh, I realize now I'm, I'm, you know, interrupting women way more than I interrupt men or whatever it might be. What are some of the things that we can do to either help bring more awareness, greater awareness so that we can catch ourselves and, and do that, you know, that mental shift before we have behaviors or to help ourselves just kind of reduce those negative and civil behaviors to begin with. And then I want to talk about how we help our team members do it. But first, let's talk about for ourselves. Okay, for ourselves. First, let me work backwards in time, which is if we've said something that we belatedly realized, said or done something that belatedly realized, you know, might have caused distress or discomfort or, or sort of lost us trust points, you know, just because it, we, we were a jerkish to that person unintentionally, often unintentionally, by the way, it's never too late to check in, you know, to say, you know, I was thinking and yesterday I asked if you would set up the coffee and I realized, what well, you know, I shouldn't have asked you that, you know, I, I just that I shouldn't have done that. It's not really in your job description. So I, I apologize. And you know, I won't be doing that again. It's we're going to either rotate that on a chore list or have it be 
you know, part of someone's dedicated job description or whatever. So, so just working backwards in time, once you catch something, you can check in with the other person, you know, how was it for you when I asked you to set up the coffee? It's a little bit tricky for managers if you have any power over that person and you ask them how it was because there ha- for them to tell you honestly, there'd have to be a lot of trust. So if you, you know, just to be aware, if they say, oh, no, it's fine, and you're, you're ultimately their boss and help decide <laughs> what their compensation or promotion or other perks are, they're not likely to tell you unless, unless as I said, there's a lot of trust. So prospectively going forward, how can you catch yourself? I think there are ways to do this that can lead to more trust in the, in the team, in the group. And that's really having team discussions about kinds of things of, you know, what are people's pet peeves, if you will? And you don't have to do it as a whole in, in a meeting per se. You can just, you know, send it out as a little poll. Uh, where people fill it out, you know, or, and you can also do it in one-on-ones. Hey, are there things that I'm, I'm doing or not doing, saying or not saying that are inadvertently, you know, kind of rubbing you the wrong way? The critical piece here is about being open to feedback. So, you know, never ask a question if you don't really want to know the answer. And so it's trying to get into that mindset of really wanting to learn. People will sense that and they'll also sense if you ask because you think you're supposed to ask but actually don't care. Just as an aside, again, all the research shows that uh, managers who have an open and curious mindset and want to learn and really convey that do incredibly well in their jobs and their teams do really well. So we'll plug for being open and curious. Yes, I completely agree. And if you want people to be honest with you, you have to be honest with them about your your willingness to listen and to grow and to learn and to do something with that feedback so it doesn't feel like it was uh, going into a black hole, which is one of the worst ways that you can set up trust if they feel like they told you something and you ignored it. Exactly. Yes, thank you. I didn't mention that part, but it's not obvious. Yes, you have to follow through. In team meetings can be particularly challenging because especially for managers, there's so much going on. And so one of the recommendations that I make, and and it's not just me, but various people in this space make, is to have one person who takes notes so that you as manager don't have to be on top of all the different things that are going on at the same time. So one person takes notes. So there's a record of what happened and all the good ideas or not so good ideas, but maybe things that become good ideas as everyone chimes in that you have another person who's a process person. And that person is really just watching for interruptions, you know, someone's ideas getting dismissed in a way that's really disrespectful because as a manager, it's hard for you to also be watching what the process of the meeting at the same time that you're trying to get to the action items on the, on the agenda list. So it can be helpful just to have people and everyone takes turns because it's really useful to be the process person who's, who's looking out for ways people might inadvertently be disrespectful or be very respectful because it, we all learn from that. So that's sometimes a guideline that happens. Managers can do it too. It's just 
it's a, a lot to carry, if you will. Yeah. And it's a great way to engage your team in the meeting and build up those skills for people. Exactly. So now what do you do when you notice that there's a team member who reports to you who has been displaying some of these behaviors that we would call are either all around jerkish or are maybe more serious than that, where they are tended to be targeted towards the same people over and over. And there are little things where you're like, ah, maybe I, maybe before I would just let it go. I'd let the person deal with it directly who is being impacted. But maybe now you're thinking, mm, maybe it is my job to, to step in here. You know, what, what do you recommend that managers do to help their team members? Great question. One is to support the team member who came to you and told you about it. I mean, that's the first step. You can also ask the team member how they what they would like, right? Because some people are okay to handle it themselves, but they just want you to know in case there are issues down the road. Some people don't want to don't want to handle it themselves. And, and so then they tell you. And then I think, you know, as a manager, if you're if they want you to handle it, it's really bringing that person in, whether intentional or unintentional disrespector, and just asking them, like, what do they remember? What do they, you know, again, most of the time it's unintentional. And so they may have been totally oblivious and not aware of the impact of their actions after the fact. So having examples is really good as a manager, because then you can say, look, let me tell you about one that happened that I heard about here, a couple or here, a few, and see what the person says. Ideally, the person would say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. <laughs> I and mean it and be open and curious to their own self-improvement and self-awareness. And so then you can together really brainstorm how to, how to coach and help that person and how that person might kind of work it out and make reparations, if you will, and, and just learn going forward with whoever they disrespected. So that's, that's really the best outcome. It's harder if the person is really resistant, if the person's had what's called a fixed mindset, which is, well, you know, this is who I am, you know, take it or kind of a take it or leave it. I can't change. And that is much harder. And then we start to get into, well, what does the organization say about that? To the extent that the disrespect is, is in fact demographically based and it is discriminatory, that's a huge problem. And HR has to get looped in because there are potential legal issues. Your organization may have policies and procedures that require you to go to HR, even if you think you can work it out within the team because of the potential legal issues down the road. So you know, first check policies and procedures. But again, if the person, if the disrespecter is open, there's so much opportunity to work with and work with them and help them grow. And it can be incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I love this idea that we start by helping the person be more self-aware and giving them real examples. So it's not just I've noticed that in general, you do this thing, but it's, here's a thing that I saw, or here's a thing that someone brought to my attention. And I, I want to, what, you know, do you remember this? What was, what is your experience of this? And helping them gain that, that self-awareness and then planning together how to, how to deal with it. And I, I wonder when, if you've noticed something, but the person who's being impacted hasn't said anything to you, is it okay 
to go to them and say, hey, I noticed, you know, so-and-so said this to you, or I noticed that, you know, you, you were left out of that meeting and I just wanted to check in with you. Like, is that okay? Or is that, is that not our job? Oh, that's such an excellent question. And in part, it depends on what kind of manager you want to be, uh, what kind of leader you want to be and what you want to convey. I mean, in theory, I think it's always okay to check in with people. The only potential downside that I can think of is it makes them more aware. But we know, again, from Tony Research, the fact that they haven't told you doesn't mean they're not aware of it. It just means they haven't told you. If they're not aware of it, that's really important information for you about that person because it means that they may, you know, they may just not view that as an issue, but they may, you know, undoubtedly they'll appreciate that you checked in with them and that you were just being considerate and thoughtful about them and their well-being. All right. Last question. And then we're going to wrap up, which is with so many organizations now working virtually or working in a more hybrid type of manner, any tips, suggestions, recommendations for how managers can deal with these kinds of behaviors, this incivility that might creep up, especially when there is more opportunity for miscommunication that can happen because we're not sitting together in the room, our relationships aren't as strong. So anything that managers should know or think about or do differently when we're thinking about civility in a hybrid situation? Yes. So one of the things that's become very clear, it was clear before the pandemic, but it's it's crystal clear now, is the need for clear and concise communication, because what you don't want is people feeling like they're being spammed. And it takes forever to find the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, in emails or in communications. It is having a zero tolerance policy. You can always back channel people. If you, if you see something, say something, but you don't have to say it to everyone or in front of everyone. That's one of the virtues. You can do it in real, in, in, um, you know, in kind of hybrid or remote meetings when everyone's on their own computer unlike a real meeting when everyone's in person and not supposed to be on their computer, you can't really pull them aside during the meeting to say, Hey, I think <laughs> you think that wasn't cool what you did. So it really is following through on whatever the guidelines are that you're trying to convey about respectful behavior toward each other. And it can really help to have written guidelines, literally just like they're attached to every meeting agenda of just, these are things that we all agreed on. So that means you have to have a discussion. So what are, what are the purposes of having guidelines? What is, what is respect for each other mean? What does it look like? What is disrespectful when you have people from different backgrounds, different, you know, even just globally different people from different cultures or regions who have different views on what does urgent mean, right? It can feel deeply disrespectful if you send something and it says urgent and the other person, you know, gets to it three hours later, but that's what urgent means to that person. So it, it can be really helpful and foster trust and communication to discuss what are our guidelines, you know, what are to help us all be on the same page and, and make working together 
a good experience and treat each other with respect as we define it. I think this is the perfect place for us to end. So Robin, can you tell us where people can learn more about you and keep up with your work? Absolutely. Uh, you can check our website, liveintheirworld.com, Live in Their World. It's very rich. It's got a ton of information about us and our philosophy and about civility training. On the publications part of that website, you'll find a free uh, download of a white paper that's best practices in giving and receiving feedback, which can be really helpful for managers. Uh, let's see, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Robin Rosenberg who's a psychologist, although there are other Robin Rosenbergs. And you can follow us on Twitter, which is live N, the letter N, their world. So it's at live in their world. And, but the website's probably the best place. Well, thank you so much. I feel like you've given me a lot to think about. So I really appreciate our conversation. Thanks for having me. Great questions. Robin has offered her white paper, Best Practices in Giving and Receiving Feedback to members of the Modern Manager community. To get the white paper, you must be a member. So head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.